Uh, we got a special guest with us this week. Uh, Al's may have been coming off of a bye week, but we still wanted to talk about the CFL. So on the line with us now is the king of kicks, the sultan of shoes, the champion of chucks, and the ace of laces, Matthew Shinetti with TSN. How are you? That's the greatest introduction I've ever had. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, I feel I need to pay you after that introduction. <laughs> I think, you know, I think what everybody wants to know first, um, we know you've been with TSN since 2013, right? Yes, I have. Okay. When did you... We Everybody wants to know about the Chucks. I mean, you got a great... You have a, I love the way you dress. I love how you, you promote everything on social media and everything like that. But where did the idea about the, about the Chuck Taylors come from? Uh, the story is uh, one that has kind of become part of just my makeup. The fact is I've been wearing Chucks probably for the last... Uh, I would say probably the last 10, 11, 12 years. Um, you know, when I was growing up, I always wanted to wear a pair of Converse. Uh, don't, I can't explain why I didn't, but when I, my dad was actually given a pair of Converse as a gift, and he said, well, these aren't for my feet. I have high arches, so, you, you know, I have flatter, wider feet, and so I put them on, and it just, it just seemed to suit me. And my, the pair I've had the most, I think I've had three or four or five pairs of red chucks. And TSM, when I came on originally, I got hired in December of 2012, uh, started officially in January. And what they kind of do is they take you through this whole uh, style um, kind of boot camp. And for anyone who wants to see what I used to look like, the person who runs uh, the Wax Shinetti um, parody account actually has my, and they showed it last week on the broadcast, the, uh, the Argos broadcast, is the photo, my headshot when I used to work for the National Post in which I look very different. And when TSN put me through their whole style consulting, um, they, uh, they went ahead and they bought me a suit and bought me a pair of um, uh, Ted Baker shoes, which are not inexpensive shoes. And I, I picked up my suits, which had to be altered. And it was in a corner of a street in downtown Toronto. And on the night, it was my first uh, assignment with uh, covering, I believe it was the Leafs and Devils game. And so I picked up my suit had everything from the stylist, uh, put my shoes down on the curb, got in my car, drove away, and drove away without the Ted Baker shoes because I ended up leaving them on the side of the road. Yeah. So I got to the Air Canada Center, or what used to be called the Air Canada Center, and I said, well, I have a black suit, I know I have a red tie, and I have my red chucks. So I ended up wearing them. Uh, and it just, for me, kind of, it was a little awkward because, you know, you never really, it's, you kind of see it now it's more of a style thing but you know back then six seven years ago it wasn't typically something people wore um and then a uh an executive with the new jersey devils not named lou lamorello uh saw me look gave me an up down look uh and obviously my red tie pointing down to my red chucks and threw me such shade he just was not having it and from that moment on i said i'm gonna wear these all the time <laughs> because <laughs> Because it's just, it's who I am. It speaks to who I am. And, um, and really, I have felt more comfortable on air wearing my shoes, um, you know, kind of being that peacock uh, in terms of style. Because it's just, it suits my personality. Because at the end of the day, I understand that, listen, TV is fun. Uh, but sometimes some of my colleagues might take themselves a little too seriously. And the whole point of, you know, who I am, my personality is I never take myself too seriously. Yeah. So it, it's all about having fun. Um, and you're, you're quite right. The question I get asked the most is how many do you have? Yeah. How many colors do you have? And, uh, you know, the count is, uh, 
you know, we're, we're hovering, we're, we're at 60 now, hoping to get to 61 because my, uh, my converse for the, uh, the gray cup in Edmonton are, uh, will be in production. will be, uh, will be coming together in uh, a few days. So, um, I'm going to have something special for the gray cup in Edmonton. If anybody watches your, your social media, can especially on Instagram, it, it's like a, a cliffhanger each week. You're deciding which shoes you're going to wear. You're pulling them off your, what, wow. What do you call the, uh, the wall of shoes? Do you have a name for that thing? Well, well, it's funny because you actually uh, called me as I was doing that and, and selecting my shoes for the week. And uh, I was looking at my rack and, and thinking about uh, the, the pink shoes I was going to be wearing. Uh, there's no longer um, CFL Pink Week has is, is kind of been replaced by uh, uh, Family Day and uh, really uh, kind of an amalgamation of causes that, the, that each team has uh, earlier on in the season. And uh, but I have two pairs of pink chucks, so um, because I have an excess of shoes, uh, I used to keep them underneath my bed. And as the collection was growing and growing, my dad went to me. My dad and I kind of put our heads together, and my dad was like, "Well, why don't we just kind of hang them from the wall?" And we, and he uh, uh, kind of developed this system that everyone sees now on social media, where it's just basically a, a, a nice board of uh, plywood that uh, has been stained with some dowels in it, and. Uh, Although, you know, my girlfriend, God bless her, uh, when she first came into my apartment uh, last winter, kind of looked around and was like, the first thing she said when she looked around, she kind of was like, oh, okay, so do you own any other pairs of shoes? <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, again, the, my personality has, has been and will always be when it comes to the things that I like, the things that are, are a part of who I am. I'm all in on them, head first in the deep end, so... Uh, it's it's the um, the display boards maybe you can call them are really a part of my personality and kind of a fun art piece in my uh, in my condo. I, I I will admit you you have a hell of a style, Matt, and it's if I could only dress half as good as you do. I mean, it's why well, I, <laughs> I appreciate that, but <laughs> I, I I oftentimes I oftentimes tell people that the, the terrible thing now is is because I have built up this. Um, reputation it's kind of become an all-consuming beast right because you can't uh, if i if i ever once don't have shoes that are flashy or that smack you in the face that has don't have some color to de- colorful design on it i hear it from the players first and then i hear it from the fans so it's uh i always have to make sure that i'm uh, i'm never bold and never boring what um what, what got you started in in broadcasting because i think if i see correctly at a, at a university, you weren't working in TV. It was more uh, freelancing and stuff like that. What got you into broadcast TV? Uh, the the imperative of not having a job. I, I never wanted to be on TV. In fact, I went to school for journalism. Well, first went to school at the uh, at, at York, and I guess I, I always like to tell people my undergraduate was five years of being undeclared, and I ended up with, uh, I have no idea, some some degree in what they call professional writing. Don't ask me what it is because I couldn't tell you. (laughs) And when I got into um, Ryerson, I had no designs on being on TV. I wanted to be a writer, a long-form feature writer. And I ended up uh, doing several internships at the National Post. Then I worked at the CBC late uh, in their late-night copy desk. Um, Wow, funny enough, the Bill Kareem was actually working on what was then called the iDesk, uh, kind of a, he was a host not more than 10, 15 feet away from me while I was lifting coffee late nights. And then I moved to the National Post when Mark Masters moved from covering the CFL for the Post to the um, 
uh, to, to covering the Leafs for TSN. And I always like to tell people, you know, truth be told, up until 2011, I had never watched a full CFL game. I was, I was a soccer guy who, at the National Post, did horse racing, figure skating, auto racing. Like, I basically was the guy who had to be the jack-of-all-trades. And right. when my editor came up to me and said, listen, you, we need a, a CFL reporter, I put my hand up and said, you've got a CFL reporter. And, you know, over the next 18 months while I was working at the Post, uh, well, you know, 13 to 15 months actually working at the Post, I basically learned the league learned who the movers and shakers were, watched the, the game obsessively. And, um, you know, you would think uh, all that hard work then led to me losing my job because they cut pages and in cutting pages uh, at the National Post, I was left, you know, with a very uh, troubling situation in my mid-20s, not knowing what I had to do. Not yeah. There weren't many writing jobs out there. And then I got, uh, I got uh, a, a strange phone call and uh, from the... Um, from from TSN and actually saw an executive with TSN outside of the the hundredth great cup, which I was working for for the CFL at the time, and had a terrible screen test where I wore blue jeans and a blue button up and Batman chucks and called Rob Smith, Rob Smith. Oh. And when uh, when I got the call that I was getting a six month contract, I asked TSN um, the, some of their executives, "What did you think?" And they kind of just said, "Well, we would tell you, but we." basically spent the whole time watching your screen test laughing. So a, I basically had a, uh, uh, you know, it's one of those things where you're kind of, again, as I said before, you, you're kind of thrown into the deep end and yeah. you have to become, you know, everything about TV is what you have to, you have to embrace. And, you know, it took a long time. I had a lot of bumps in the road, but I can tell you now that uh, live TV, live broadcast, the CF, being live on the sidelines is um, some of my most favorite moments week to week to week from uh, the uh, from late spring into into the fall so I'm uh, I, I, I I never I always tell young professionals regardless of the uh, regardless of the profession you never know where you're going to end up you might have a dream but the most important thing is to be versatile be willing to collaborate be prepared and always be willing at a moment's notice to rethink what your dreams are I will admit, I, we, you know, both Cliff and I watch you all the time on the broadcast on TSN, and you seem to be very prepared. One thing I wanted to ask first before we get to that prepared question is like, which hurt most, Matthew? The uh, uh, getting told that they were laughing at your interview, or dropping a pass on national TV? Well, you know, it's funny. It's it's. I often tell you know, it's it's one of the things that time inevitably kind of heals wounds, I guess. But I. The, re- the way I am now on the sidelines can be traced all the way back to, you can search my name on YouTube and you'll find that I blew a live hit nine months into my time at TSN. It was the Leafs against the Penguins. Mm-hmm. And I, for whatever reason, whether I was cold or tired or whatever, I just was so out of it. And I blew a live hit on national TV. And when you're nine months into a job, you never thought you'd have, you get spooked by a moment like that. And so instead of getting kind of being like, well, this is the end. I don't know if this is right for me. I kind of said, well, I can't go any lower than where I am right now. The best thing for me to do is make live TV the thing I love, which is why, you know, people talk about last year and dropping passes and Henry Burris uh, a year before that telling the panel to shove it. And um, sometimes some reactions to some of my questions that uh, some coaches have had. And and I just embrace the moment because the one thing that you realize after you stop taking yourself too seriously is that I do have a very important job. We do have a very important job as sportscasters. We're there to entertain people who have had long days, who have um, 
who who are looking for a distraction, looking for entertainment, looking to be intrigued and interested in in basically a late night viewing, and that's why I I now I kind of embrace those moments, those naturally occurring moments. Uh, even like this year with uh, the Edmonton Eskimos and Mateo J and Duke Williams taking my microphone for a celebration, you know, it, it has to become a part of you. It has to become something you love doing. And, and really the fans and the viewers will know immediately if you're not passionate, you're not enjoying yourself because the camera never lies. I can tell you that from experience. And yeah. so what I do now is I make sure every moment of every broadcast, I try to, when I'm on air, I try to show people whether I'm covering CFL, whether I'm covering the Olympics, whether I'm covering basketball, whether I'm covering the NFL, that I'm enjoying what I'm doing, and then you can enjoy what's happening with me. Nice. Cliff? All right. Uh, Matt, with uh, being a sideline reporter, I think a lot of people have a sort of preconceived notion of what you actually do, but uh, what's the one thing that your typical viewer at home may not realize goes on behind the scenes or on the sidelines, if you will, uh, as, as part of your job goes, like what's the one thing that people would be very shocked to find out that you, you, you're a part of on a, a game day basis. I would tell you relationship building, the value of it is so critical to what I do. Um, I, I watch my colleagues in the States, uh, whether doing NFL or NBA. And I see my colleagues up here, whether they're, you know, CFL or, or doing the, um, or doing hockey. And I always like to go ahead and, and think about where they got their information because relationship building is key. I oftentimes have young professionals and young journalists who love to shadow me. And they always tell me the thing that they never appreciate is how much, how valuable it is to build relationships. When I go into a CFL game and I'm on the sidelines, I shake the hand of almost everybody I see uh, because I'm trying to you know, get to know them because in relationship building, you build trust and building trust you grow uh, your reservoir of information. What I always see of sideline reporters' greatest ability to do is not to regurgitate stats for you because that's what they do in the booth, and that's why they have a spotter and a statistician. Your job as a sideline reporter is to bring people to field level, to show them and to articulate to them what is going on that they're not seeing. And, in, and in to articulate things that the general public or even other reporters aren't seeing is that relationship building. And that takes years. And years and years and years. And maybe the best um, advice I was ever given was I came to a, a CFL game when I was younger with, uh, you know, made my first year with a, a bunch of stories that I had either accumulated in practice throughout the week and or had, had, had read from some of my fellow colleagues. And the, the producer at the time, uh, Mitch Kersner, said to me, that's great that you have these but I'm going, to tell you, I'm going to tell you something. These don't mean anything to me. Now you have two hours before the game. Go find me four good stories. And that was probably the best advice I could have received at that time at a young age because it reminded me, okay, I've got, I've got two hours before a game starts to talk to players, to talk to league officials, to talk to officials on, on each team. And as time goes on, most players, if you engage them, will start engaging you and they'll come to you. And many, you know, very often, you know, for example, I'll go into a game in two weeks in Winnipeg and I'll do some preparation the night before, but I know when I go there, I will spend the, the two, three hours before the game talking to people around both clubs and I will get the stories and the information I'll need for the broadcast. And right. that takes so much time and trust and it, you need patience because as you're building patience with people, you're learning different how to respond to different personalities. You're learning how to respond to different people. 
because some people like you to walk up to them. Some people don't. Some people will tell you something. Um, if you ask the right question, some people are just willing to go ahead and, and spill the beans, you know, because they like your company and they, and they like seeing you and want to want to talk to you about stuff. Yeah. It is always important for a reporter and especially a side run reporter who's, who's on live TV to immerse the audience in what they're doing. And the best way to immerse the audience is to give them information as close as you can from the people and the players and the staff involved. I think a good example, by the way, what you're saying about uh, relationships that you've made is if a lot of people didn't see the B-roll that was done between after the post-game interview the, between you and Zach Caleros. Where- yeah, the thing about Zach and I, Zach and I, and, and that's, and it's, 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 sorry to interrupt you. I, yeah. I, and I know what you're referring to is, is, um, Zach Caleros and I have gone ahead and came into the CFL together. Uh, Zach was a third-string quarterback slash fourth-string quarterback, practice roster quarterback for the Toronto Argonauts in 2012. And I was into my, I guess you could call it my second year technically, but it was my first full season covering the CFL. And Zach and I just were two totally different personalities in terms of how we view the world. But, you know, football became the thing that we – we were kind of we were we were learning about the CFL together, and we were teaching each other about the CFL. Um, and as that, we we kind of built a relationship. Now, you know, I, anyone who knows me around the league will will know that Zach Caleros and I are friends. But I don't. Uh, he's probably the only guy in the league that I would consider a, a someone who is a friend outside of work, only because of that relationship. I tend to want to keep other people kind of at an arm's length because. You know, the one mistake I made, and I tell this to young journalists all the time, is you, you can never blur the lines. And the one time I blurred the lines between, you know, someone who I was covering and a friend is when Zach Claros tore his ACL right. and his meniscus back in 2014. I was eight feet away. And, you know, one of the big regrets I have professionally is watching, you know, as soon as Claros went down on that tackle from Odell Willis, he was no longer Zach Claros, the starting quarterback of the Hamilton Tire Cats, who was Zach Claros, my buddy. And when he's walking off, you know, cameras caught me putting my arm around Caleros' shoulder, and that's a big no-no. I mean, there's always a line. My point is, there's always a line in relationship building. And what I, what you'll notice, anyone who watches me on the sidelines now, is I greet everyone on both sides. But as soon as the game starts, I do not cheer. I do not fist pump. I put my arms at my side. Mm-hmm. Once the touchdown is scored, I walk back to kind of the the, the 55 yard line for the game to begin again. Like it's, I, I never. I'm never relish in any team or any one players apart from maybe the occasional, wow, that was awesome. Or that was a, wow, like what a throw, what a tackle, what a play as any fan would, but, or any uh, observer would, I should say. But for me, it's, you have to realize as you're a young journalist and a young professional in this business, um, you can have friends, you can have friendships. It's great. But at a certain point you need to realize too, that there has to be a line and in building and in and understanding where that line is, um, you have to know that being professional uh, and being seen as fair and objective is more important than any friendship you could have. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Cliff, hey. uh, talk to us about uh, preparing for a game. Like, as far as when you get your assignment, okay, you're going to be broadcasting, say, Montreal, Toronto on Saturday. From that moment, could you sort of walk us through what you go through as far as getting prepared for? that game as far as uh, like you said you wanting to deliver the information to the viewers and and that could you kind of walk us through that a little bit yeah sure so that's going to be a unique situation because it's it's one it, 
this weekend, you know, I will start first. I, I, I will travel to Ottawa on Thursday, Friday. I have the game, which is obviously a critical game between the Ticats and the, and the Red Blacks. Um, with a lot of my preparation, I'll be able to do the night before because I will have done production interviews the, uh, you know, Thursday, the day before the game. I'm not given that kind of luxury on, uh, on a game like the Argos Owls game, because I literally will be flying in the day of the game. So I'll tend to go ahead and, and, and always go in with a, with a list of people I need to talk to, because once I get to the stadium, the game would be just after four o'clock, which means I'll probably get to the stadium one thirty quarter, you know, quarter to two at the latest two o'clock. So I will accumulate a list of people I need to speak to. Um, and, you know, to give you an example, I will go in with a certain understanding of what the stats are from the previous game. I will have rewatched key moments from, from both teams' previous games. And I will go in knowing that, okay, I want to talk to James Franklin. And I want to talk to James Franklin because I want to understand what he's expecting out of himself in this last two weeks, now knowing the Argos are out of it and knowing that in 2019, so many quarterbacks are in play. And does he see himself as the starting quarterback of the Toronto Argonauts? On the flip side, you know, I, 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 even though I've covered Johnny Manziel quite a bit, I haven't had a chance really on the sidelines to talk to Johnny because a lot, ten, typically a lot of NCAA and uh, NFL players when they come up here, when they see me walking around the sidelines, they're kind of shocked because they don't, they don't, they're not used to, uh, reporters walking all over the field like I do. So I'll tend to leave Mandel alone, but I might go talk to Kahari Jones. John Lou had a great hit last week about Johnny Mandel and the grip he has on the football um, in terms of when he, how he's learned to throw Canadian football. Well, for me, what I'm tending to see a lot more now is I, I'm looking at Johnny Mandel's footwork. He has, over the course of the last six, seven weeks, learned to, learned to um, really utilize his base and stability. So I want to talk to Kahari Jones about making sure that Menzel has a strong base when he's in the pocket, when he's going through his progressions. Because I see my job with, with in particular, two of these quarterbacks, James Franklin and Johnny Menzel, we're looking at the next step of where they want to go. And, and while Dwayne Ford, and I typically like to do this, I like to play off of the what's going on in the broadcast. So I know going into the broadcast that Rod Black and Dwayne Ford will be discussing the mechanics of both quarterbacks, maybe more on the mental side with James Franklin, and more on the mechanic side of Johnny Menzel as he continues to improve playing the Canadian game. So for me, I want to go ahead and offer hits that I can kind of make it the, the broadcast in terms of storylines yeah. appear like an ongoing conversation. That's important to me. I always think that sideline hits are more tangible to viewers when it sounds like um, what we're talking about is just a continuation of the major storylines. And really the, the two biggest storylines going into this weekend um, – are the quarterbacks, in particular, what is going to happen with um, uh, Mandel and uh, James Franklin, but also on the flip side, both of the futures of both of these teams. And to that point, if I can talk to Cavis Reed, I will, in terms of where he sees what's going on with Mike Sherman and the coaching staff and even his own job, as the Owls not only look to you know, finally try to build some stability in 2019 with a brand-new uniform, obviously, that we saw this week, but also – you look at the flip side of the Argos. Jim Pop has some big decisions to make, and so maybe does Mark Trustman. I don't. I think there is a growing um, understanding that maybe this third year and what was supposed to be Pop Trustman's building of a, of, of, a, of a strong culture here has taken a huge hit this season coming off of a spectacular Grey Cup win. So I'm looking at the future of both clubs in terms of their head coach and their structure, but more specifically, I'm looking at the quarterbacks. 
where is James Franklin's mentality, and how does Johnny Menzel's how are Johnny Menzel's mechanics improving? Nice. Now it's funny you bring up the uniforms. The Alouettes surprised everybody here in Montreal by releasing some teasers, whether it be in the uh, one of the local dailies or at the uh, Montreal uh, McGill Metro station. Um, but uh, you tipped us off about some information that a lot of fans and Alouette fans, and maybe fans from across the CFL, did not know. There's a lot more to, to just these jersey pictures that were released just on monday yeah listen the, the, this jersey has been something that's been cooking with the montreal Alouettes for a while and i think whether you want to credit bob uh, you know the wetnall family and or cavis reed uh i think the fact is they this these jerseys were supposed to go ahead and represent a culture change in the montreal Alouettes. to be to be frank things have been on a descending path for quite a while and i think for everyone as much as we talk about the problems with the Argos and BC, it probably hurts people the most looking, looking at what's happened with the Montreal Alouettes because uh, I think uh, myself in those early years covering the league in 11, 12, and 13, mm-hmm. uh, and many of those who have watched the league for the last 18 years, one of the great joys of watching the CFL was watching the absolute party atmosphere that would be at Percival Molson Stadium. And, and to see that kind of be tepid and stagnate and even decrease over the last couple of years has been frustrating. So uh, it, 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 it does seem as if this team needs a new, I won't say a new coat of paint, but maybe a new approach in, in trying to establish a new culture change. We were tipped off at the CFL and TSM that the uh, kind of the approach and the building of toward this culture change was going to be illustrated by some of the emblems that were put on the helmets, really going from the 1950s all the way through uh, to uh, that, that very, what became an iconic, Al's A logo, you know, during the time of early on with Tracy Hammond and Anthony Calville and Ben Cahoon and um, and 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 that those teams that won back-to-back Great Cups under Mark Tressman and Jim Pop. Right. But we were also told that had the Alouettes gone ahead and been competitive, pushing for a playoff spot of over 500 um, or even any semblance of uh, competitiveness, that they were in fact going to release this whole new concept. Um, uh, probably sometime in early October. Now that again was all contingent upon how the team was doing. Right. Uh, it is, it is unfortunate that, you know, the team has, has notwithstanding the excitement possibly generated by the, by the incoming of Johnny Manziel and his own education in the CFL. It's, it's disappointing that they weren't able to do that. Uh, but these jerseys uh, hopefully will usher in kind of this new understanding of where the owls are going, because I do, having spent some time covering the Owls uh, this season, especially, you know, there was a pocket of time I was in Montreal covering practice day to day. I, I have enough, I have nothing but respect for, for Mike Sherman in, in his attempt to try to learn this game and try to recapture some of the aura of what the Alouettes used to be. Right. Um, it is a lot of work that goes into not just putting new, new um, flashy uh, jerseys on players. This has to go to what they want the culture to be, and who they want the quarterback to be. Because as much as Johnny Manziel is, is the quarterback of, of 2019 right now, uh, I think there needs to be this un- unwavering sense of commitment by everyone involved saying, we're taking this, this season as a step towards something brighter. Uh, and I think, sure, they, the jerseys themselves are a nice illustration of that. But I, I hope, because I too 
want there to be, especially if Halifax were to come in, I do want a really strong Eastern division. Right. And I want a strong Eastern division, not only to, to finally quiet all, you know, all those people like my qual- colleague, Dwayne Ford, who want one division in the CFL, but I want to be able to cover games at Percival Molson stadium and, and experience. And I haven't yet been able to experience that. What, what used to be a, a, a festival carnival, energetic atmosphere, whether it's new jerseys or old. Right. And I, I will admit, Matt, you've, you've, once it gets to that actual point, the days of the before the expansion, before you know, and even just after the expansion, those sold out crowds, a hundred sell out crowds, and whatnot. You know, I still think Percival Molson one of the best places to be in the CFL. But I, I agree with you, sixteen thousand people just doesn't handle it in a city that in a stadium that should hold anywhere but you know twenty five thousand. So it, it's nice to see that there was a method to the madness for their roots to wings uh, promotion this year. Um, is there anything that you can say that you may have seen that the Owls have not put out yet and that may fans may be uh, wanting to look forward to once they start teasing it a little bit more? Uh, in terms of the jerseys, what? I can tell you I have seen the entire jersey concept. I can, I, I can tell you that I've seen what the jersey looks like uh, head to toe. Mm-hmm. Um, it's unlike anything you've ever seen in the CFL. It's, it's, it, and it really is, it's, I think very emblematic of the city, flashy, sleek, flamboyant. Um, but also this, there's this class to it too. It's when seeing some of the players who have worn the Jersey and some of the concept uh, concept pieces that we were shown and what it, it just, it's a kind of Jersey you want to put on. You want to put on that helmet, which listen, is sometimes half the battle. Um, I can tell you this from the player's perspective, those across the league, they, it's not like people don't, it's not like players don't want to live in Montreal. Right. I mean, take a look at John Bowman and, and Chip Cox, but John Bowman, you know, for example, you know, one of the last remnants of those great Alouettes teams, he loves Montreal. He absolutely, you know, he, he's a part of the city, wants to be a part of the city. I know, I, I believe he owns property in the city. He, he wants, he loves being there. And that's because when he was there, as you mentioned, he was part of those 100 sellout crowds. Yeah. Like he was, he was there when, when you couldn't get a seat and 25,000 people were there. And listen, I, I have been at personal Molson for one playoff game when they shellacked the BC lions back in 2014, 15, I think, uh, 2014. And it was loud. Yeah. Like it was, and even there, there was only 18, 19,000 people in there and it wasn't a sellout. So I imagine if you get to that point, um, Montreal, for whatever it's worth, sure they'll love a winner, but Montreal loves to be entertained. They 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 want to know that their team is going to entertain them. It hasn't been the case over the last four or five seasons, but um, you you hope that uh, the Wetnalls, uh, but in particular Cavis Reed, you like to think they have their their heads and hearts in the right places, and that this is that the new jerseys, the new makeup is only a an indication of how good this team can become. Uh, do I dare ask? And I don't know if you can't say this officially, I will edit this out. Uh, please, it, there's not going to be a, a monochrome, one color uh, uniform, is there? No, it's it, 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 there. There is not. Uh, believe me, it, there is no monochrome, one color uniform. Thank God. <laughs> this, uh, this, 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 this is this is this is. Um, it has very much. If, if there's one team, if there's one team. Not necessarily color scheme, but more um, 
what 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 would look like the flashiness and mm-hmm. what would you look at when punches you in the face mm-hmm. i would compare it to some of the more flamboyant oregon ducks jerseys okay where um you know there's there's there it just you see it and it's just it's it's you got to wear sunglasses because it's just it's not a lot but it's just like it's something that flashes at you immediately so um it's different it's new it's unlike anything you've seen in in the cfl uh very much has a kind of one of those alternate college jersey feels to it however it does not look like any of the early iterations of the um the thursday night football in the states that kind of uh whatever they call it that colorway thing that they do which is just sometimes oh yeah the color rush color rush (laughs) yeah the color rush the color rush rush stuff um it does not look sometimes as uh, monochromatic as uh, as those. Thank God. So it seems. So you, as a, a fashion guru, you're going to give it given a thumbs up from what you've seen. Yeah, I'll give it a thumbs up from what I've seen. I mean, I don't know how it would look in a pair of chucks, but uh, I'm going <laughs> to give it from what I've seen. From what I've seen, I'm uh, I'm I, I if I was an Alouette fan, I'd be uh, I'd be quite pleased with the, what with the way it looks. No, just from the pictures alone, I think both Cliff and I have to sit here take our money. I mean, I, I think it's that's simple from what we've seen right now. So. Um, Cliff, uh, talking about fashion icons and, and such, uh, what's the latest on, uh, this, uh, sort of rivalry you have going with Mike Riley? It seems like you guys are always, uh, sniping at each other when it comes to fashion stuff. Uh, where are you guys at right now? Yeah, I think, I think there's a bit of, there's a, I would think there's a bit of a truce. Uh, Riley has a, uh, there's a more important game coming this weekend than, than worrying about uh, me and my uh, and, and my wares. But uh, I, I can tell you, probably one of the and getting back to just my personality and how I how much fun I try to have on the sidelines. The fact is, Mike Riley uh, and and I have have kind of developed a a relationship on the field where, you know, you, you like having that kind of rivalry. You like having that um, that that bit of shtick off off camera. Uh, and listen, um, I'm glad he can wear those hats because uh, sometimes I, I wonder how what how much is you know his his wife, his, his wife must really love him if she keeps putting him in those hats. I mean, <laughs> when he's lucky he's found a woman that uh, that loves him that much because I think anyone else wore those hats, uh, I would tell them to, to to hide themselves in their closet. I mean, those many of those hats should never be seen in public. But you know what? As a man who himself has as this so far this season worn mustard yellow chucks, uh, purple chucks, chucks with all kinds of colors on them. I mean, I'm not one to judge, but I can tell you, you'll never find me wearing a uh, uh, a bowler hat uh, in the middle of August. Nice. <laughs> now, does your girlfriend get freaked out seeing you knowing that her her man probably has more shoes than she does? Uh, no, my girlfriend, uh, to her credit, is probably the one who critiques my fashion the most. I've, uh, I, uh, although she uh, she travels with quite a, quite a bit for work and and oftentimes uh, does laugh when knowing that I've got about um, maybe let's say three or four times as many shoes as she does. However, I have seen the state of her closet, or rather, how it's kind of exploded all over her room. Uh, I, I am, I, I have no problem knowing that I am far more ordered in my life, even if there happens to be way too many, uh, way too many uh, sneakers in it. I'm, I'm, I'm much 
I, I'm much more confident and comfortable uh, in my suit, shirts, and ties than uh, than the woman in my life and uh, the the explosion of clothes and more clothes that she keeps buying that are all over her room. So I will I will take my little bit of uh, I'll take my sneaker obsession over uh, a bit of disorder any day. No, we know uh, we know you're on a, a tight schedule now. We really appreciate the extra time that you've given us, Matt. Um, I, I, as you're saying, you go around meeting people. I had the, the luxury of shaking your hand last year at, at Grey Cup on the field. Yep. Um, and it was a, it was a pleasure meeting. I hope to meet you again at the, see you again at that Grey Cup this year. Um, before we let you go, uh, how do, if they don't know already and they should, but if they don't know already, where can they find you on social media? Uh, my Instagram is TSN underscore Shinetti. Uh, and for those who don't know how to spell that, that is S C I A N I T T I. And, uh, on Twitter, it's at TSN Shinetti one word. Um, but yeah, I, I always enjoy interacting with fans on, on social media. I always enjoy, uh, the, the ribbing I get from people, um, because at the end of the day, really we're only covering football here. We're in, in the way the world is at this moment. Um, the whole point of, of sports is really to bring people together under something we can all really enjoy and agree upon, which is a good game and fun on the sidelines or fun as you're watching it from home really is uh, so important in, in kind of just helping everybody relax and bring people together.